All right, good morning. So nice to have these young folks up here. I just I, makes me feel so young. Just being around them, that's not the truth at all. I feel a whole lot older when I'm around them. Uh, first off, I, I don't know if this is going to be my last sermon or not. It could be. It could be, especially coming from this area over here. You know, we did things a little different last Sunday night. Boy, it was just really fantastic. Uh, we had a, a singing, and we, we had all the pews circled up here, and it was just fantastic. If you missed out, uh, don't miss out next time. It was just really fantastic. But that also meant that the pews had to go back to their respective places, and as you have figured out, uh, they didn't quite as much. The, the, the ones in the middle are fine. The ones on the outside are a little different, and I've gotten an earful and some some really rusty. You don't have to do this right now. I mean, look at he's, he's mad dogging me. He is mad because he's not up here. This side, my wife just gave me an earful. She's like, "We are not in the right pew." I was like, "I I don't know where they went. I messed this up." For so th- for those of you who feel like you're not in your assigned pew, I apologize. We will try to get that that fixed, uh, or you can just deal with it. <laughs> And hopefully I will be here next week. I do have one other announcement to make. I, I need to make you aware of. Um, I have a beautiful, lovely wife. And she's had to put up with me for a really, really long time. And so several years ago, I decided I was going to surprise her. And we were going to we uh, were gonna go on a trip. And so I, I pilfered away a, a little bit of money each month. And then last year, I came to her and said, Okay, we've, we're, we're going to celebrate 25 years together in May. Uh, and I said, we can go anywhere you want. And she says, well, uh, we talked about it and we decided that we're going to make a trip to the Holy Lands. And so we're super excited about that. But what that means is uh, next month, I will be gone most of the month, actually. Uh, we're going to have a guest speaker in. Uh, Michael Joyner is going to be here for the, the three first three Sundays of, uh, of the month. Uh, He's going to be in here, he's going to be filling in, like him, but don't love him so much that when I come back, I don't have a place here. Uh, So he's going to be filling in, Derek Moore is going to be teaching on Wednesday nights, and so uh, I'm I'm not leaving for good, I hope, I hope I get to come back if you'll keep the door open, but it's going to look a little different next month, but we're so excited, we're going to get to go to Athens and Jerusalem and Rome and Cyprus and some of those places that we read about in the Bible, and I hope that we come back just even more excited about the Word of God and how it, it impacts us here uh, in, in Hobbes. And so we'll, we'll be out a little bit on that. So let's, let's go to Mark 12. Have your Bibles, open them up or turn them on and scroll to Mark chapter 12. We're going to be looking at the last week of Jesus' life. Uh, it happened so quickly. Um, that, that here we are just having finished 11 chapters. We open up the 12th chapter, uh, and we're already into the Passion Week. In fact, if you go back and look at the week before, that's, that's when it, it began with, with Jesus coming in. And you would think this would be a time of, of celebration, that Jesus is now being welcomed into Jerusalem. He's, he's coming in as the King, as some people believe. But there's questions. <clears throat> Lots and lots of questions, not those good questions, but those accusatory questions, the, the, the questions in which Jesus in some ways is being, is trying, they're trying to trap him or trick him, they're interrogating him, and it's really going to take on a, a, a very somber mood. In fact, Jesus is going to tell a parable that we looked at in class last week that was really heartbroken, heartbreaking. 
there's a man who owned a vineyard. And he had some people who were working in that vineyard. And after a while, it was time for the harvest. And so he sent a servant in who would come and and collect the proceeds and bring it back. But as he was coming, the people who were working the vineyard said, Hey, let's beat him up and kick him out and not give him any part of what we now believe is ours. And so they did so. And the owner would send more and more servants to collect what was rightfully his from his vineyard in whom he had paid workers to work. And some of them they would beat up, others they would kill. And ultimately he has this idea. And I think it's a crazy idea. I think it's an illogical idea. He says, hey, they've beaten up or killed everybody I've sent, but what if I send my son? Surely they will treat him differently. And the workers in the vineyard see the sun coming and they say, oh, here comes the sun. We better straighten up. Go get the money. we got to get this taken care of. No, that's not what they said at all. Instead, they said, hey, here comes the heir to this vineyard. If we kill him, this vineyard becomes ours. And after you read that, doesn't it just make you angry? How dare they do this? They were furious. And rightfully so. You know who was more mad at that story? Not us. It would have been the Pharisees. Because when they heard that, they knew that Jesus was saying, look, you guys are the ones that are the workers. You're the ones that are beating up the servants. You're the ones that are killing the servants. You're the one who kills the son of the owner. And they're like, we're not going to do this anymore. We've got to take care of this crazy carpenter from Nazareth. We're going to kill him. And they start making plans how they can do that. Well, they can't just kill him outright. They've got to have a reason. And so this is where we have what many scholars believe is Tuesday of the Passion Week. And it's where they're going to start trying to trap Jesus. We're going to talk about this at a later time, but I love the questions that are asked by Jesus and the questions are asked of Jesus. And what's interesting, he asks a whole lot more questions than he's asked and he answers just a handful of them. Almost 200 questions are asked by Jesus. Some believe it's around 183 questions are asked by Jesus. Less than a handful are directly answered by him. And here's a perfect example of of one of those ones that he seemingly diverts. And he's going to start asking his own questions. And so we're going to pick up in verse 13 of Mark chapter 12. It says, later they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. So we already know their motives. They're they're not trying to be sincere about this. They just want to find a way to get their hands on him. Verse 14, they came to him and they said, Teacher, we know that you're a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. But you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't? Now let's stop because before we get to the question, we have a statement made by them. Actually, there's, there's four statements made by the Pharisees and the Herodians. 
they're going to say, this is who you are, Jesus. And my question is, have they pegged Jesus for who he is? The first thing they say is, you are a person of integrity. Is this true? Is Jesus a person of integrity? What exactly is integrity? Somebody help me out. What, is, what does it mean to be a person of integrity? Of good character? Right? Some of you may or may not remember years ago I had a sermon. I know you don't remember. You don't remember last week. I don't hold it against you. But several years ago I talked about integrity and we ended up talking about the Titanic. And there's a lot of reasons why people think that the Titanic sunk. One of them, of course, is you know a really big iceberg and a gash in the side. But another thing that, that uh, some of the, the people who looked at this believe that, that one of the problems was they had poor rivets. The rivets were made out of, a, out of a steel, and as a result, they popped open when they shouldn't have, and that really was a big part of it. That something so big and massive and unsinkable as the Titanic went down because some cheap rivets. You know, having integrity means that who you are is the same all the time, everywhere, in all situations. You have integrity. That, that you don't have weak spots. And so I would say that Jesus absolutely was a man of integrity. Now the second one I'm... I'm really curious about, they said, you aren't swayed by others. Is this Jesus swayed by others? I, I don't know how to answer that question. Because part of me says, absolutely, he's never swayed by others. But then there's other times that I see that, you know what, I, I believe he... And he looks at them and they're... And it causes him to respond in a way that God would act. And so I would say that he wasn't just, he didn't consider other people. I think he wasn't sometimes swayed by their feelings and how he could enter into their lives and call them out of their pain. And the, the third uh, statement that they made is you pay no attention to who they are. Now, I just have to say that's not true at all. This is, this is not who Jesus was. In fact, Jesus was better at paying attention to other people than anyone else. In fact, they seemed to ignore or push away or oppress those who they didn't think were good enough. Those who were the outcasts. Those who were sick. The Samaritans and the women. Those are the ones that they would look down upon. In fact, I, I love the story when Jesus' feet are being anointed. And Jesus looks to the Pharisee who was sitting at the head of the table. And he asks him this question, do you see her? Well, the answer is of course they did, but really they didn't see her at all. And so I think Jesus was fully aware of who was around him. He stopped in large crowds. He would welcome little kids. He would go towards the hurting and the broken and the sick. And so absolutely they were wrong on that account. Jesus 
paid attention, and he still does today. And then this last statement that they make is, you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. They don't believe this at all. You know they don't believe any of this. They're just trying to butter him up, right? They're just trying to, oh, you're a really good guy. They're, they're just, this is, this is, they're dangling that carrot. Trying to get him close. Stand over that trap door, Jesus. And as soon as you do, we're pulling the lever and down you go. And so they ask him this question. Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should we or shouldn't we? Okay, so why, why do they ask this question? Why would they ask this question? Okay. Okay, so Lynn is exactly right. Jesus says, yes, you should pay. There's a lot of people who hated Rome. Why did they hate Rome? Folks, let's not forget that the Jews were basically living in an occupied state. Their enemy had made up camp, were living in their cities and their towns. They had come in, people that they hated, people that hated them, and they were taxing them, and they were treating them poorly. And the Romans had a great way of taking care of people they didn't like. They got a couple of pieces of wood, they nailed them together, and they would hang people on them regularly. When Jesus was just a boy, on one day, the Romans crucified over 2,000 people. This is how they handled it. And they came in, and they didn't say, oh, well, this is separation of church and state. They said, you do exactly what we tell you to do. Now, they were a little lenient when it came to religion because their religion was polytheistic, which means that, hey, we have lots of gods. Pick one. Pick several. That's great. But the Jews are monotheistic. And what does that mean? There's one God. And if there's one God, it means all these other gods that you've created, they don't count, they're not real, they don't matter. And so this caused quite a bit of a problem. Because the Jews would say, we serve one God. And the Romans, well, they said, well, we're going to have to take care of this. And so they would come in, and they would say, here's what you can and can't do. And the Jews hated them for it. They hated the way that they would treat them. Some of you may remember one of the commands that Jesus had in the Sermon on the Mount. Remember, he said, if somebody forces you to walk one mile, what are you supposed to do? Go two. Do you remember why he said this? Is this like because you're out on a daily walk? No, no, no. This, this was because that the Romans had a law that said that if, a, if you're at your house, you're working out in your garden, you're doing your dishes, you're getting ready for a nap, and a soldier walks by, he can say to you, by law, he says, you have to carry all of my gear for a mile. That you have to carry that. And so they had to stop whatever it was that they were doing. And they had to walk it. And they knew exactly how far to go, so much so that they would create what? A milestone. 
that after walking a mile, they knew where that stone was, and they would turn to the soldier and say, I don't have to go any further and drop that. And that's why Jesus said, if somebody forces you to go one mile, go a second with them. Well, they didn't like that either. So they think that now they're going to catch Jesus. Because if he says yes, he alienates all the Jews that want to follow him. But if he says no, he's now speaking treason against Rome and against Caesar. So he's in a dilemma. What is he going to do? Is there a right answer? Well, I mean, I guess you could argue, does Jesus answer? But really, he just asks another question. But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me? He asked, bring me a denarius and let me look at it. They brought the coin, and I want to pause there for just a second. And I want to ask this question. Where did the coin come from? Well, originally, you know, it was minted by Rome. But can't you imagine that it came out of one of their pockets? I mean, do they really have to go around and say, does anybody have a coin? We don't have a coin. We're, we're, can, can I borrow one? And this is, this is why I love reading the Gospels, and I love thinking about how it fits in this wider story, because something happened just last chapter that has to do with these coins. Remember, Jesus goes into the temple area, and he's furious. And one of the reasons he's furious, well, the reason he says is that you've made this a den, a home for robbers. And one of the reasons that they were doing this was because they had set up their own coinage, their own system in which they could charge people. And they, they did this under the guise of, we don't want any of Rome's money in our temple, which may be true. And that's because they didn't want Rome's money in their temple. They wanted it in their pockets. And that's why Jesus is going to talk about the hypocrisy. People would come from all over the place and they would gather together and then they would, many of them, because it was so difficult to travel with an animal that they would sacrifice, this is what they would do at the temple under the sacrificial system, they would bring in an animal and sacrifice it, but sometimes they would travel with this animal, and they would get to the temple, and then one of the priests would say, well, I'm sorry, but that really is not an appropriate sacrifice. You need to buy one of ours. And so this person who had traveled with this animal would then be forced, if they wanted to make the appropriate sacrifice according to the priest, would then have to buy one. And they'd go to purchase one and they say, no, 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 we won't accept your coinage. Because that, that's not ours. That's, that doesn't belong to God. So you can give it to us and then we'll give you the appropriate amount, which was always cost more. And then they would then make their sacrifice. And here they were trying to trap Jesus 
about some coins, and it was those same coins that were jingling in their own robes. And they tried to catch him. But Jesus asked this question. He says, whose image is this? And whose inscription? They said, Caesar's. Then Jesus said to them, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And just, they were amazed. And so what do we do with all of this? Well, I mean, we're still a few months away from April, but you're not going to hear me say, I think you should skip out on your taxes. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. And this has nothing to do with the taxes or the coin or the money. It has to do with something so much bigger. And it goes all the way back to Genesis. And God had created the world and everything in it. And he says, that's good. But then, he spoke with Jesus and with the Spirit and said, let's make man in our image. And so that's what God did. God created male and female in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. And this brings us right back to Mark 12. And that's this. You were made in the image of God. You were created by one who loves you. And you belong to him. And I don't know that bothers some people. I, I don't like the idea of, of thinking that like I'm I'm possessed, that I'm I'm owned by someone. I, I'm my own person and I'm free. But God says, I created you. And I made you and you belong to me in, in a loving way, but in a, a jealous way. That I desire to be in relationship with you. Well, you read through the rest of the Old Testament and it fell apart. Horribly fell apart. So much so that several different times God said, boy, it would be better if I hadn't created man. But ultimately, he looked down on his people and was persuaded. Persuaded to do everything he could to save. Until the point he said, you know what? There's only one thing that I can do. And that means I'm going to send my only son, whom I love. And he is going to be that sacrifice for all of us. And that's exactly what God did. That's how much you are loved. That's what God thinks of you. Your boss your ex-wife, your kids, <laughs> the person standing behind you in Walmart, the person driving beside you down the road, like, they're not going to think that highly of you. 
Some of them will say it to your face. Some of you are still living with the echoes of an, a verbally abusive parent who said, you're no good and you'll never amount to anything. And God said, I still love you. Despite all your failures and your mistakes, what you've done and what you're going to do, I'm never going to stop loving you. And the way that I'm going to show you that I love you is not with a coin, but with my son. And he's going to come and save you and redeem you and deliver you. And as the result of that, we can live free and joyful and blessed. But some of you are struggling with that. At least I do. I struggle with worthiness. I struggle with being good enough. But this morning, I want us to rally together as a group of Christians who love the Lord. And as we sing this song in just a few moments, I don't want you to think about how bad you are. I want you to think about how good God is. Because you are made in His image. And He knows you are very good in His eyes. And so this morning we're going to sing a song of invitation. Sometimes we talk specifically about that. Sometimes we just throw that phrase out. But I want to invite you this morning. Maybe, maybe you're struggling with your unworthiness. Maybe you feel like you don't belong to God. Maybe you feel you've gotten caught up in this world. I just want you to know everybody in this room has struggled with that. And so if you need prayers, maybe it's coming forward and saying, look, I really need some help. Maybe it's finding somebody afterwards. Maybe it's turning to the person beside you and saying, I'm really struggling. Will you pray for me this week? I just want to encourage you to, to take that invitation this morning so that we can glorify God and remind everyone that we are made in the image of God and we're reflecting Him. Please join me this morning as we stand and sing.